and welcome back to a very special episode of In Check with Fintech, or shall we say In Check with Diversity in Fintech? Today we have the absolute honor to host three powerful women from the fintech space. Lydia Koenig, CPO at Solaris Bank, Alex Gastner, CEO at ACI Diversity Consulting, and Leila Kasim, SVP of Operations at Lemon Market. This is the second episode of our three-part series with them where we talk about diversity and inclusion within fintechs, strategic planning for attracting and retaining a diverse workforce, different leadership styles, and much more. Enjoy listening. So we heard about Futura. We heard about awareness for reporting the importance of data, um, how it should be at the core uh, of any company. Uh, the diversity train has uh, long ago left the station, um, but uh, there's still some catching up to do by the sounds of it. Um, so let's go into the second pillar of a track. So you've made, you've, you reported, you know where you are, you know you want, where you want to get to, um, you know that there's unconscious biases, you know that there's awareness. Now you need to attract the diverse workforce. Um, Delia, how... Do you attract a more diverse workforce, first of all, um, which is quite a big topic, I think, but maybe there are some things that you've seen work really well in Futura or maybe other companies that you've spoken to and how effective is it? Yeah. Um, so I think in in regards to attracting a more diverse um yeah, a more diverse team. This is actually where all of the things that we already talked about and that we will talk about are coming together somehow. Because in order to attract more female talent, it's very important, for example, to on the one hand really eliminate the unconscious bias that we that we talked about before. So making sure that this is not part of the of the recruitment process. There, I think there are a lot of options to to um, to push this and improve this. There are trainings and whatnot. I personally feel um, usually like this these these one off things. For example, with trainings, they're nice to have, mm-hmm. but they like probably will not help you on an ongoing basis to really like. Um, yeah, eliminate the unconscious bias that we all have. So I know that for some tech companies, for example, they really do it that before every single interview, like they have a very explicit list of these could be your unconscious bias, like have an eye on basically making sure that you're not applying them during the during the recruitment process. And with that also having like a little bit more, you know, like governance around it. When we come to that here again, also we talked about reporting and KPIs before, very important part, I think, for recruitment processes in companies. So making sure that you report on an ongoing basis how your recruitment process is, how successful it also is in terms of um, attracting attracting female talent and diversity. Um, and then I think in terms of being an attractive employer, um, here everything plays in also from like a development and retain perspective. So the more like the more you can show that you're actually doing something to improve diversity and to lift up female talent, the more female representation you have in senior management on like public events and so on and so forth, the more attractive you become. Like I know this from myself. I'm more drawn to like companies who have female C-levels or, or like representation um, in, in senior management um, because I just know, okay, this this cause is also close to their heart. Like they, they will do something for it. And then I don't know what the opposite of a vicious circle is, but it's basically like a positive vicious circle, hopefully. Virtuous cycle. Ooh, nice. <laughs> Um, and, uh, you, you can like, 
you attract more female talent and you will also get probably like the higher skilled people um, in, in your in your pipeline as well. Um, so I think these these are things where basically everything is coming together. So the, the better you are at diversity, probably the better you will be in attracting and attracting the, the female talent as well. Um, and this is where with Futura, we also try to just create really a brand. So F Futura, if you look at, you know, the um, everything around the branding, Alex mentioned it before, uh, Magda did a great job there. Uh, one of our colleagues, um, we, we have a, we have an amazing brand and everything is basically, yeah, um, looking at having this, this brand and pushing our mission for like the 30% females across all levels. Um, and we, we basically include that into our reports, into our speaker events, into our, um, career days. So like we have, I think we did it two years ago, the empowerment day, looking at Alex. Yes. Um, two years ago, a really big event, um, with, um, I don't actually know how many, over 100, People. over 100 women in, in fintech. And Which that resulted was, in six hires, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and that was, that was really, really good. Like it was, um, it, it was a very successful event. We didn't only then, uh, yeah, um, get candidates uh, in, but also just created a name for ourselves within the industry as like, yeah, as a fintech that is really, really pushing that agenda. And I feel this is this is also an important part of the, like attracting the talent. And here's a piece of data, because we always talk about data. The ROI on this event was actually 300%. <laughs> so we paid a little bit for one event in January, like 20K. <laughs> and throughout the whole year, we saw, I think it's something like 12 to 13% more women apply throughout the whole year, even in November, December, way, way after that event, because... And without paying for this, by the way, without, you know, having to um, hire any recruiters, having to do any headhunting, which we still did for certain positions. But even without doing anything at all, we saw a change in who applied for jobs. Absolutely. And that saves a lot of money. It yeah. saves a lot of money and it really shortens the hiring um, funnel pipeline. Yep. I think what's absolutely key is the fact that women see themselves reflected in the company. To, if you can as, see it, you can be it. If you see it, you can be mm -hmm. it, as Dahlia said. Yeah. It's a personal thing for all of us. If we see ourselves reflected in the leadership, that's somewhere that we want to be because that's somewhere that we can grow into. And and it's really applauding and encouraging the ambition in women to be everything that they possibly can be. And it's be vocal about that by the sounds of it. Absolutely. Right? And then you get that snowball effect with the afterburn, if you will, uh, of a... 300% ROI. It needs to be authentic because the worst thing that happens is, and we see this a lot in the diversity space, right? A lot of a good marketing and a lot of events that have, you know, that shine towards the outside and then you get to the inside and people maybe join the company and then find out, well, it's actually not really this great. And then they tend to leave you after one or two years and you've won nothing. So yes, be loud about it, but be authentic about it first. So you talk about the, the brand and the marketing around Futura. I have to say, I saw, I've learned today that there's even Futura socks. Yes, I'm wearing, I'm actually wearing double socks. <laughs> so it's double Futura. I'm really representing. It's a food Futura. Food Futura. <laughs> That's how far it goes. Yeah. Um, like it, so th th there's the brand being vocal about it. Um, what about strategic planning? So one thing that was mentioned earlier by Alex, um, balanced scorecard. So something that often companies have holding themselves accountable to their shareholder base, making sure that that 
because that's ultimately what management will be uh, scored on by the end of the year. How well of a job have they done in leadership? And as soon as you take those people and culture topics out of there, it becomes irrelevant because your variable compensation is no longer tied to that. Again, it comes back to incentivizing. So if we've put right at the top of the balance scorecard, we want 30% across all levels. By Joe, there will be a push for it throughout the entire year because my variable compensation is reliant upon that. So it starts there. As soon as it's there at the top level, then it filters down to the company internal company objectives and it should filter down if you've got something like a OKR or objectives and key results type of format, then it's split on a quarterly basis. The functional teams take that back with them and develop certain structures, certain guidelines, which will help them meet that target on a more digestible basis. So strategic goals start from the very top and I'll, and even better for the VCs and the shareholders that are listening, when you enshrine that in the shareholder agreement through successive fundraising rounds, which certainly happened at Solaris, you also can create more awareness and more of a momentum towards achieving these goals. Sometimes I've spoken to lots of other founders who've said, you know, well, all well and good, it's in the shareholder agreement, but are they checking up on it in the board meetings? No, they're not. So it is also a push and pull there with the shareholders as well. So do they really care about it or do they just also want to convince their LPs that they're doing something about it? And and that's a box ticking exercise for them. So, you know, sometimes it can be a signaling exercise. Hopefully, you want to translate it to an authenticity exercise and actually filter it down to something meaningful. Incentivization. Yeah, comes back to incentivization. You really, again, data tracks back to your comp, tracks back to, I'm really going to make this happen. <laughs> <laughs> what else? I think, uh, Alex, you did, uh, talked about it earlier, uh, or at least alluded to it, um, job descriptions. Because I think that's a very simple trick. I know that Solaris does this. So what can you do in job descriptions to attract more diverse talent? Yeah, I think it was it was Leila actually that mentioned that. <laughs> I don't know why it's good. <laughs> it's all good. Um, job descriptions is like the easiest things, like the low hanging fruit of diversity. I Perfect. feel like every single company is doing it. Um, it's a nice start. I'm a little impatient. Like I want things to happen fast and, and a lot of things to happen, but it's a very good starting point. If you don't know what else to do, if you have no money whatsoever, if you have no support, this is something everyone can do. There's actually a tool which we can link in the show notes um, about basically it analyzes the language, the, the wording you've used in the job description and it tells you some of these are coded very male, some of these are coded very female, some of these are coded neutral. And there are studies that show the same um, number of men will apply if something is worded in a neutral way or in a more female way, but not as many women will apply if something is worded in a male way. So we don't actually lose out any talent pool. We don't alienate people by finding a more neutral um, description. You know, the the go-getters, the, the, you said it, the rock stars, the ninjas. Let's kill them. Yeah. Yeah, the We're going to execute. I saw Data Ninja the other day. Like, we're looking for a Data Ninja. And apart from being like almost... A, it's almost 
always a little bit aggressive or a little bit like very assertive, the wording, it's also super nondescriptive. So I don't care about the aggression part so much, but I'm like, a ninja, a data ninja, what is that? Do they slice the data? Do they, what What happens with this? Like, it's, it doesn't make any sense, which annoys me on an entirely non-diversity related level. Um, that's a super easy thing that can be done. It takes about two minutes. Um Sometimes it's better to not just rely on tools, but to actually work with professionals on this mm. and to make sure how do we translate this more. It's also about this. There's actually competing studies about this now, so I don't know what to say, but there used to be the um, widespread opinion uh, based on studies that women will not apply for a job if it has more than six or seven bullet points, you know, if the list is very long, because on everything in general, right? Not all women, not all men, hashtag. Um, um, in general, um, because the imposter syndrome will come through. And on a lot of points, they'll be like, can I do this? Have I done this before? Can I actually do this? So there'll be that insecurity, which isn't the women's fault, by the way. Mm. It is the society always telling us that we need to be perfect and always questioning us. Um, and actually, men are often hired for potential and women have to prove that they have done something. So it's very natural for women to wonder when they see a job description, can I do these things? Have I done these things? Can I prove that I have done these things? Um, so a lot of companies started having shorter job descriptions or fewer bullet points, right? The, the list of tasks is not that uh, that long. Personally, I'd prefer if we just got rid of all the job descriptions and started writing them new because I have yet in my 35 years of life uh, come, uh, I have yet to come to a job description where I understood what the actual damn job was. <laughs> Look at them and I'm like, those are certainly all words, but they give you a general feeling, but you Corporate don't really speak. know. Yeah, I think they should be done away with, like no more job descriptions like that just real a day in the life of someone that does this job um so fewer bullet points fewer points um fewer requirements fewer do we really need a bachelor degree for every single darn job out there yes. i don't have one That's so i'm like one. yeah i don't know that this is always a requirement we really have but at least in germany we are really hot on those mm. bachelors like sounds like the bare minimum you know Better if you have a master. Better yet if you're a PhD for an entry-level position. So there's a lot of good work that can be done in job descriptions to code them a little more neutral to make sure that you're attracting more talent. I mean, for you, it's very obvious. I like it because it is indeed that low-hanging fruit, very simple, yeah. uh, not cost-intensive. Yep. Is there other low-hanging fruit that people can implement to attract I think having um, very flexible working hours is a very easy one. Mm -hmm. um, that's super easy to implement. I think oftentimes when you have working parents who uh, will need to clock off at three to go and pick up a child or indeed somebody who may also have caregiving responsibilities, if you have the flexibility option that you don't need to be on site between nine and five and, and if that doesn't work for you, well, it doesn't work for us, then automatically you're going to eliminate lots of people who do need that that flex built into their time that's a really super obvious one very low hanging fruit and not cost intensive at all but does require some time in terms of building a bit of a culture around that but i feel that hopefully post covid that should be quite obvious mm -hmm. and a lot of people have more flexible situations um, coming up now and and the ability to work within those kinds of structures so 
that's a super easy one. Um, Publishing pay ranges. It's technically yes. even uh, mandated by law, but the answer to that has been to just make the pay ranges really wide. Like this is a job, uh, you know, pays between 50 and 75K. That's not really a range. <laughs> that's not a good range. Uh, so having really good pay ranges for people to understand, you know, where, what should I be asking for even? So it's not, I don't want to be working somewhere where it's going to be, I'm going to be having like 15 conversations by the time we finally get to the salary conversation. So that is something that would make me pick up the phone and go, okay, this is a pain, this is a pay range. And I actually see myself in that and I know what to ask for. That's another easy one. Remote work. If you have the option, that's not possible for all jobs, mm. but it's possible for a lot of jobs. Not 100% doesn't have to be that, but some flexibility around remote work. All right. Great. I think that's uh, quite a lot to uh, to implement and, and easily, well, easily implement, let's put it that way. Um, any other things that we haven't touched on that are good to think about when trying to attract diverse talent? So I'm saying this because I, <laughs> I tasked Jackie with this, right? I worked with Jackie from PCN last year. And when we were hiring, we had a lot of positions open. And when you are in that position, when you're a hiring manager and you actually have budget for external recruiting, which is always great... Don't worry about giving really hard goals out there. So there was a point in time where I said, I want to see 50-50 split between the candidates you give me. And if you want to really, really, because he's such a good guy and this is the one, like he's got such a good profile. And it's like, well, but you've maxed your men, mm. so I need a woman now. And after one or two months, the pipeline was filled with still not enough women. So I was like, I want to see two women now for every man that you that you recommend, which I think made her life harder. <laughs> <laughs> but she was great. But she said she actually really enjoyed the exercise. And so we should never forget the kind of power we have in any positions that we hold. Even if we're not hiring managers, we have networks. We can recommend people. We can make intros. Um, and that goes a really, really long way because the business world is all made up of networks. And I think we're very good at that women tend to be very good at that in their private life like there's this whole there's this whole village around everything whether it's people you care for or children and then at work I think we still lag a little bit behind we've gotten better but we still lag a little bit behind so the question is always when it comes to attracting talent first of all do I work at a good company but anyone can be an ambassador it's free it doesn't cost anything you don't have money to hire a headhunter okay cool but you have maybe a LinkedIn presence you have a platform you have a network you can actually beat the drum for your company and say this is a great place to work at and that that the ambassadors really are another low-hanging fruit I find yeah. it doesn't take a lot of investment to get people up to speed in that and that speaks louder than most other things you do as if there's actual people in that actual company representation matters that look like me that sound like me that uh, I, I feel connected to that means like I'm going to work there that's all coming back to the brands right or the employer brands like uh, Dalia alluded to uh, earlier um, great okay so we've reported we've attracted <laughs> now we want to develop and retain <laughs> so uh, maybe on that topic the, the kind of last pillar of the uh, Futura um, Leila what are the common HR practices to be implemented in order to retain a diverse workforce so uh, you need to, we, we discussed it earlier uh, in terms of salary and promotion committee, making sure that you have really hard facts around that. Am I promoting my workforce equally, equitably, inclusively? Uh, that's a big one. Um, am I also making sure that I have 
strong succession planning in place. So for example, if you know, as Alex also alluded to in the last episode, if you know that you have a workforce that might be aging, that might be leaving relatively soon, who do you have coming into place to make sure that that gap isn't going to have to be an external hire? Can you promote somebody internally? Can you start equipping them with the skills now to make them ready in a few years time, even if they're not ready immediately? Mm. I think that's super important. And oftentimes, especially, especially in the fintech space, when things are moving so quickly, it's really about what resources and people and budget do I need exactly T0 um, today, but I'm not necessarily thinking about two years down the line when I potentially have somebody who might hit a ceiling and and might feel no longer that there is any growth left for them. What am I putting in place for them to keep them engaged, keep them at the company longer? Because it's definitely in my interest from the company's perspective, but also it's a great signal that you send internally that, okay, if I stay here, if I work hard, I can continue to have a place to grow, a place to grow into, uh, greater seniority, possibly better pay package, um, possibly better bonuses. So it, it becomes this virtuous cycle again. So I think that's super important, having those embedded processes and really making sure that you check yourself on, on the salary and promotion piece. Am I, am I really promoting people fairly? That's a big one. I think uh, some statistics on that in the EU and the US alone, I think women earned on average less than 50 to 20%. Yes, it means that on average, women will be working for free from October onwards, which is a good way to think about it. Think about it, yeah. Yeah, and that's not even taking into account um, a book that actually Alex gave to me. Um, that basically your um, that doesn't account for all of the free labor that is happening behind the scenes. So caregiving is not something that's considered work, even though it is work and takes up a lot of time and space and it's unpaid. And often that work is done predominantly by women behind the scenes. Mm. So if you also even add up things like a free time after work, that also starts to shrink when you compare that uh, from women against men, which is really scary when you put it into, again, coming back to data. Remind me the name of the book. It is... The Cost of Sexism? No. Kim Scott? No, no. It is... Um, I gave you so many books. You gave me so many books. <laughs> it is... We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. I will remember. I'll remember. I want to add to that. Um, in Germany, we often look at it from the other perspective. So you've worked... We've worked for free until March 7th. <laughs> and from then on, uh, that's the pay gap for this year. And I find it very, very interesting that this is the general pay gap for women... But we're really looking at white women. We're not looking at black or brown women here. We're not looking at women with disability. There's not even enough data on that to say what's their date when they have been, you know, when's the equal pay date for them. Um, and that's that's quite, well, shocking. Every year it's shocking. And I hate that we still do these statistics and we don't seem to be able to fix to fix the process itself. So, yes, equal pay, equal promotion is such a, such a big one. Just giving opportunity. It really takes me off. I've been in banking for 14 years. I've not been once to Money 2020. Every single year I see these groups of bros. I'm sorry, they're beloved colleagues, but really. <laughs> and all the time it's like, well, you know, there's this person that they need to meet or that person that they need to meet. And I'm like, 
take one of the many amazing women we have here, because this is also opportunity. This is also a network. This is an introduction. This is some networking with the CEO at the after the dinner and whatever. And we don't tend to give opportunities in a very fair way. Not again with with any malintent, but it happens. And so having a very structured policy that says opportunity needs to be given to everyone. If you really want to promote this dude, fine. But in your succession planning, you also need to have a woman and you need to make sure you give the same opportunity to that woman. And then we will see change in the retain and develop. A lot of companies look at retain and develop as a thing of like, hey, Delia, why don't you go do this training on assertiveness or conflict management or whatever. And it seems to be about fixing the women. I think the retain and develop piece needs to be a lot about developing the company structures. It needs to be a lot more about everyone else around, Absolutely. not just women, marginalized Absolutely. identities. And why why don't we create more spaces where women can come as they are? Yes. That's something that in my later years, I've come <laughs> much more towards where for so long, I felt like I, you know, needed to be louder needed to be more aggressive, needed to be more confrontational. None of these are traits that I naturally tend towards, but I constantly receive that feedback. I know Dahlia has also received that feedback. You need to speak up more in management meetings, whereas my style is much quieter behind the scenes, one-on-one, let's go for a walk. I'm going to give you some feedback. It's going to be very real, um, but I don't need to put you on the spot and humiliate you in front of a large round. Mm. It's a very different style. So why don't we create the space for lots of different styles to coexist rather than putting the emphasis upon one style and saying, well, I'm going to sponsor you because you're not enough of these insert male traits here. I really have had enough of that. Mm. And I, I really want to create a culture where we are more accepting, more, I was going to use the word forgiving, but that assumes that something is wrong. Mm. Just accepting mm. of the various traits that come with very, in the packages of all different people. That's, that's what I think will mark or bear the mark of a great company to work at. And I remembered the name of the book, which is very fitting, <laughs> Invisible Women. Right. Yes. And, and the, the tagline is Exposing Data Bias in a World Designed for Men by Caroline Criado Perez. I highly recommend it. I have had to put the book down several times because I get so infuriated, <laughs> but it's still a good read. So definitely one if, if you really want to dig into the data gap, uh, especially when it comes to women. And she also highlights there that it is she's talking mostly about white women and not women of color or women with disabilities. So do be aware of that. Small content warning on uh, Carolina Criado Perez in general, because she's quite uh, controversial in uh, intersectional circles. So it's a very good read. It's a very good intro read for a lot of people who have not been exposed to this, but just read it knowing that's a very binary book and it's... uh, it's not without its criticism, but not for the data and the studies that she has. That's just that the book is full of studies and data. It's super, super interesting. Mm-hmm. And maybe just one thing. I hope you're comfortable with Stelia. Can you tell us the sentence that has been said to you about what you should be more like when we talk about this one standard uh, of behavior? Sure. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to. You don't have to. No, it's all good. It's all good. I, I think it's a fitting, uh, fitting anecdote, basically. Um, so in my younger years as in like leadership and, and management positions, um, I, I received feedback um, on 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 yeah uh, on my performance. It was it was all good on the let's say like 
what I could do better or what I could improve on side, I was then given the feedback that, well, I could be a little bit more brave hard in like the work environment. So meaning that, um, I guess, um, what to does be that even mean? <laughs> well, the half face of makeup and the screaming, screaming on the horse. Yeah. Uh-huh. So how, okay. how, how it was described back then, because obviously I had a very like confused face. So I think my, like <laughs> the person I talked to was seeing that I was struggling with that feedback. And he basically said that, well, I should be louder. I should, when I come into a room, I should really own the room and like have a strong physical presence i should sit at the very big like um top of the table table. head of the table thank you and just like own the space more um basically be another dominant male yeah yes it was very clear (laughs) yeah and um i mean I don't know. I, I I am now also working plus 10 years in this kind of environment. So at some point, I think, or in the beginning, I, I also wasn't as challenging. So I was just like, ah, okay, well, maybe this is, this is the way how it needs to be. Because I mean, also in fintech and, and finance and banking, you only see this kind of leaders, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you, you just assume you have to have these kind of traits to go where they went. Um, and I think this is also something that our entire industry and society can learn a little bit more about is also like reflecting on what is actually needed mm. on the on the point that Leila made about like being loud or being outspoken in, in, in management or management board meetings. I mean, also men could talk less, mm. right? Yeah. And maybe we would get to conclusions much, much faster because what I was also like um, seeing a lot in, in, in my past years is people just talking because they want to talk mm. and making random points just because they feel they have to contribute. Mm. But we can also just as like as a community reflect on, is that really the case? Like, do do we need to be like that? And I'm, I feel a lot of men also actually don't like to be mm. like that and are just basically, they learned this kind of like behavior over the years because again, our top leaders, they, everyone's doing it. Yeah. Everyone's doing it. So you just assume you have to do it as well, which is, yeah, I think we just need to also break through that that assumptions and yeah reflect a little bit more on what is actually needed to be a successful enterprise so my colleague calls the mini me syndrome my colleague morton mm. um which i think is interesting because that kind of diverse diversity in styles i feel is at the core of diversity why it is why the benefits of diversity are so significant absolutely Thank you for tuning in to the second part of InCheck with Diversity in Fintech. If you liked this episode, come back next week for the final part of this three-part series. And don't forget to rate our podcast as well as to follow us on your favorite podcast platform.